InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Teenagers can experience intense emotions. Parents need to understand this in order to support their teens through this developmental stage. With more, here's InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Dr. Lisa DeMore hosts the Ask Lisa podcast, writes about adolescence for the New York Times, and serves as a senior advisor to the Schubert Center for Child Studies at Case Western Reserve University. She's now the author of The Emotional Lives of Teenagers, Raising Connected, Capable, and Compassionate Adolescents. Dr. DeMore, you begin your book addressing three myths about adolescent emotion, so let's just start there. The first one is that emotion is the enemy of reason. That's kind of an interesting one because I think many people think that emotions do cause people of all ages to act impulsively or illogically. So tell us why that is a myth for teenagers. Well, so there are times for sure when emotions can get the better of us and cause us to make decisions that are not wise ones. But for the most part, the way that psychologists regard emotion is we see them as informational. They are giving us feedback on our lives and how things are going. And we want teenagers and actually people of all ages to tune in to what's happening in their feelings to help them make good decisions. So for example, if a young person finds that every time they hang out with a particular classmate or friend, they come away from it feeling kind of lousy, we would want them to pay attention to that information and to use it to make decisions going forward. But we also want emotions to be balanced with other things. One of the analogies I offer in that section is the idea that emotions should be like one member of our personal board of directors. If we imagine that we all have a board of directors that helps us make choices in our life, there's a lot of, you know, people sitting at that table. There are obligations to others, our ethics, our values, our financial and logistical constraints, but also our feelings weigh in what we want to do. And I think the best way to think about it is that emotions have a seat at the board. They are not the chair of the board, and they're very rarely the deciding vote. The second myth you write about is that difficult emotions are bad for teens. I think it's very hard to be a parent of a teenager and be in the presence of how intense their distress can become. And it is natural to adolescents that teenagers sometimes have very powerful feelings and it can be frightening to the teenager and also frightening to the parent because teenagers feel things more intensely than children and adults do. And it's pretty potent sometimes, their emotional lives. And I know sometimes that parents worry that it's bad for their kid to feel some distress at a very high level. And what we know is that, by and large, teenagers and people of all ages are built to weather intense emotions, are able to withstand them, and in fact, grow from them. So not only not be harmed by them, but in fact, gain maturity by going through hard experiences and sitting with painful emotions. And only occasionally do we find that having a very, very intense emotional experience causes harm. And that's what we refer to as trauma. When somebody faces something totally overwhelming that really blows their coping out of the water, we don't want that for teenagers. But teenagers learn and grow sometimes the most when they're dealing with difficult things. The third myth that you write about is that with their amped-up emotions, teens are psychologically fragile. Set us straight on that myth. It can be kind of awesome to witness how intense teens' emotions can be and also how all over the place they can be. Teens feel everything more powerfully, so that also means they feel positive emotions powerfully. So anyone raising a teenager is going to have the experience that their kid is in a terrible mood and then five minutes later is like ecstatic about something. 
And at any other point in life, we might be a little bit concerned about how wildly mood can swing in a very short space of time. But in teenagers, we see this as largely normative. And what I would want parents to be on the lookout for in terms of when to worry about the fragility of their teenager is if their teenager is dominated by negative emotions, finds that negative emotions are running the show for them, making decisions for them, getting in the way of their life, or if their teenager is using costly coping, is what I call it, if they're using strategies to feel better that come with a price tag, such as using substances or tearing at the fabric of relationships or being harmful to themselves. You also write quite a lot about gender differences, and I think parents who have raised both boys and girls would certainly agree that there are some huge differences. What do parents need to know about that? What parents should know is that the gender differences we see in terms of how kids experience and express emotion are socialized. They're taught to kids. There's nothing inborn that makes girls do things one way and boys do things another. But we do see very powerful gendered patterns that emerge. And what we see is that girls are given a lot more latitude around emotion. They are allowed by our culture to express a very wide range of feelings from sad to angry to frustrated. Whereas boys are taught by our culture that there's only a couple of emotions that are really permissible for them. And those emotions are anger or pleasure at someone else's expense. So that is harmful to boys, obviously, because they don't get to feel all the time that they can enjoy a rich emotional life, at least not in a public way. And we also find that boys don't develop the same vocabulary that girls do for talking about feelings, connecting with people around emotions. And this comes at a cost to them and, of course, also the people around them. I think many parents view phones and social media as the greatest enemy in the history of parenting. What are your thoughts on that? It's complicated, as I think my, what I would say is that phones for teenagers and social media for teenagers is a very mixed experience. I don't think there's a teenager around who doesn't simultaneously really, really value and enjoy what happens for them online and also find what happens online to be taxing or frustrating or painful for them. That in my experience clinically, I see all the time that those experiences live side by side. And so what this means is that if, as adults, we're going to try to guide teenagers about social media or talk with them about their online lives, we first need to acknowledge that for teenagers, there's a lot of upside in this and a lot that they enjoy and a lot that actually may be quite healthy for them. And if we acknowledge that, then I think we have a fighting chance of having a conversation about the downsides. But if we just roll up on teenagers and talk with them about how we hate their phones and social media, we will have lost them before the conversation has even started. So I think it's really important that adults be curious and ask questions of their teenager about what do you like about social media? What do you dislike? What is it that adults don't understand? And really have a meaningful conversation before trying to weigh in with our opinions or our guidance. Any tips for parents on what they can do to help their teenagers maintain or regain emotional control? One of the key things I really tried to bring across in this book is that psychologists see the act of emotion regulation, what you're describing, you know, being able to bring feelings, you know, to a place that makes them bearable and quite manageable is a complex and kind of wonderful process. And it actually has a couple of categories in which teenagers can operate. Sometimes teenagers gain relief for powerful emotions by 
expressing them, talking about them, getting them out physically, sometimes going for a run or banging on drums. And sometimes teenagers bring emotions down to size by finding things that help them to regain a sense of control, whether it's comforting themselves or finding a temporary distraction or tackling the problem that gave rise to the distress. And my goal in this book was to really offer parents two well-stocked toolboxes for how teenagers manage their feelings effectively and how adults can help teenagers manage their feelings effectively. And more than anything, what I want parents to know is that sometimes talking about feelings works really well for teenagers, but that is certainly not the only or even always the best option, that there are lots and lots of ways for teenagers to manage emotions well that may or may not involve opening up to their parents. Doctor, I think many parents of teenagers wonder at one point or another, is there a typical age where their child will hit a level of emotional maturity that the parents can more relate to? What final words of advice would you offer to them? Well, first of all, what I'd say is teenagers are wonderful. They are very aware of how adults talk and think about them. So I think it's imperative that we have a reverence for them because it's what they deserve. But it is definitely the case that there is a lot that is changing neurologically for teenagers throughout the course of development. And it can mean that they have high highs and low lows. It can mean that they are sometimes impulsive. It can mean that they act like teenagers. What we know is that this neurological project takes a long time to get all the way completed and that it may or may not be really done until close to age 24. But that doesn't mean that people younger than 24 don't have really thoughtful capacities and are often using them well. It just means that until around age 24, if a teenager becomes very stirred up or a young person becomes very stirred up, their very, very powerful emotion centers can knock their perspective maintaining centers offline. But by age 24, usually those emotion centers and those perspective maintaining centers are in a pretty good balance. Dr. Lisa Dumour, the author of The Emotional Lives of Teenagers, Raising Connected, Capable, and Compassionate Adolescents. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.